Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today we have NFL agent Michael Portner on the show. Um, also happens to be my friend. Um, he represents Orlando Brown. They just exited a round of contract negotiations that were uh, unsuccessful as Orlando Brown will now play the year out on the franchise tag, protecting Patrick Mahomes' blind side. Got into a lot of stuff. I had Portner on back in uh, December when he was first starting out as an agent and starting out as, uh, as Delta Sports Group, as uh, he is the founder of it. And uh, fast forward six months later, and he now represents an NFL Pro Bowl left tackle. So we got into how the hell he managed to do that, uh, what actually goes into NFL contract negotiations, and how it's not always what it uh, is perceived to be, what he's learned throughout the process about the NFL contract negotiations in general, and kind of his next move. So his training camps kick up all around uh, all around uh, the country this week as we kind of had kind of hit the home stretch before football season. I thought this was relevant. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Enjoyed talking to my uh, pal Portner um, about everything that goes into uh, an NFL uh, negotiation and contract. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the podcast. But before we get to that, podcast is brought to you by MIMS Insurance. Glad to have my friend Matt MIMS on board. He's MIMS is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. Everything's expensive right now. Gas is expensive. Groceries are expensive. If you've got something you need to get insured, you want to make sure you get the best rate. MIMS is the independent insurance agent whose sole job is to find you the best possible insurance rate. Whatever you need insured, whether it's a boat, car, house, uh, congrats on your boat if that's the case. Whatever you need insured, he can help you get the best rate. It can be overwhelming trying to find out what's the best way to go insurance-wise, whether it be provider, best rate. Just call Matt Mims and he'll handle all of that for you. That's overwhelming. You got enough going on as is. All you have to do is call him at 601-218-7854 and he's going to get you taken care of. Tell him I sent you and he will get you the best rate possible. All you have to do is sit by the phone and wait for him to get back to you. He is the uh, best in the business, absolutely. He shops it through 10 different insurance agencies and comes back with the best possible deal for you. So let him take the hassle out of the uh, shopping for insurance quotes and just let him handle the process for you. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's de definitely going to get you taken care of. Check him out there, MIMS Insurance. That is 601-218-7854. The podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. We've got... Football just around the corner. You're going to want to take advantage of this deal. So right now, they're running an Ole Miss national title special. The Skybox guys are Ole Miss fans. How about that? Right now, if you use the promo code NATTY, that's N-A-T-T-Y, I hope I didn't have to spell that for you, but just in case, you're going to get 50% off any picks package between now and August 17th. You're going to want to take advantage of this. Think about this. You can buy their NCAA and NFL picks package for the year, at half price right now if you go in and buy it right now use the promo code natty the promo code rippy for an extra 20 percent off still works i don't know if you can double dip we'll check with the skybox guys on that one but be sure to try both why not you need to check these guys out if you're into sports betting they're absolutely the best in the business they're going to lead you to profit more consistently than your own brain you don't want the bookie texting you 
every Sunday night, Monday morning, this football season, asking you to square up as he just robs you blind. You want to be texting him asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Skybox is going to help you do that. They're the professionals. They hit it 60% last year in NFL. They absolutely crushed college basketball. You need to check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. So glad to have those guys on board. One real quick note, right quick before we get going. I noticed when I was editing this that for somehow when we Porter and I had the conversation, my output volume on my mic got turned way how much if anything you'll notice but if the audio sounds slightly different on my end that's why i don't know how the hell that happened just technology man um definitely a one-off like not not going to be any issue going forward you may not even notice it but just in case you do that is why but uh we got the situation fixed um pretty quickly after and i think i cleaned it up pretty good so anyway just wanted to make that note all right here is nfl agent orlando brown's agent michael portner all right, we now welcome on NFL agent, um, founder of Delta Sports Group, former Pierce Extended Yellow House resident, my best friend, Michael Portner, and uh, now recurring guest. What's up, dude? Man, just hanging out, just did a bunch of uh, Sunday morning laundry, you know, just living the adult life, getting ready for, for the fa- future father-in-law to come into town, going out to dinner tonight, just, you know, enjoying summer as much as I can. How are you doing, man? Pretty good. I'm uh, back in Texas packing up the last bit of my stuff, um, getting it in boxes, ready for a moving company once I find a place to live in Oxford. Uh, life's been uh, pretty hectic the last couple of weeks, kind of trying to move state, started a job and all that. But uh, I kind of did the same thing this morning. Um, as we found out on your bachelor trip a couple of weeks ago, I've become a huge F1 guy. Uh, yep. French Grand Prix this morning, uh, threw on, watched for Stapp and win. Did some laundry, packed up some boxes, it's good stuff. So just a uh, nice little adult Sunday morning here as we record this uh, midday. You mentioned the future uh, future father-in-law. The last time we did a podcast when you were first starting up Delta Sports Group and becoming a full-fledged agent, um, I almost ruined your engagement. Uh, <laughs> you remember this? We were talking about it right before, and you were about to propose to Danny, and uh, I thought she was gone at like a book club or something. Luckily, you had your headphones in, but she was very much not gone. She was sitting uh, in the same room just a few feet behind us. So that, that could have been bad, but at least we can publicly speak about that now. You got that negotiation uh, down pat. Yeah, I think you saw the fear of God in my eyes when you said that and realized you had made one slight misstep, but all is well. We, uh, that was honestly one of the worst kept, kept secrets all the way around. So you really would have... Uh, just uh, just spilled the beans a little early. So it was quite all right. Everything worked well on that end, though. But, hey, she said yes, and we get married in less than two weeks. Yeah, headed up to New York. I'm pretty pumped about it. You could have talked out of, like, your way out of that somehow. She'd have been like, what is Rippy saying? Nothing. He's on drugs. Don't worry about him. Uh, I'm glad we got through that. But, you know, we did this for the first podcast back in December, and that was when you were literally first starting out as an agent. I believe, like, literally the uh, – Delta Sports Group had just become an LLC. You didn't have any clients yet. I wanted to have you on to one talk about that, but really just the uh, kind of the landscape and structure of NIL. Um, at the time, really like off air, we were trying to figure out like, you know, the best move to get, you know, work with as marketing agents or whatever they call the college version of this to help kids get NIL deals. Uh, my all things have changed since. You now represent Orlando Brown Jr., the left tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, not only did you gain him as your representation or you as his representation, um, he also is entering contract negotiation. So quite a bit has changed in, in, in five to six months. Let's just start there. So for those that out there listening that don't know 
how did you flip? I mean, really, this was like life changing in a way overnight. How did you become a sports agent, really just trying to make it while working a sales job on the side to landing an NFL client? How did you manage to do that? Yeah, so it goes back to no lie, Rippy, starting when I was that 18 year old writing that paper that that started the foundation for all of this to where you fast forward what from that moment eight years later to when we're having this last conversation to where I just passed the NFL agency exam. So my foundation was there. But then I just had to get the, the ball going. I think one of the biggest things we spoke about were just do something every single day. Yes, I did still have that sales job. But by the time December, January rolled around, I had already pitched three or four college hockey players just, hey, here, here's, here's what it's going to be. I'm practicing to where fast forward uh, probably a few months, I get a call from a guy named Taylor Nowell. He is a financial advisor. He is actually Orlando's financial advisor. I get connected through him, um, to him through our good buddy, Stuart Sally. Uh, yeah. Stuart gave me permission to, to name drop him there. So tip of the cap to Stuart. I finally had one of those cold call, weird, awkward connections. Hey, this is who I am trying to get started with Taylor that I feel like everybody who's ever tried anything in the world of business has had. And that finally clicked. That one call led to another call with him to where we got a good little working relationship going. And then he calls me one day and says, hey, I got, got quite um, an opportunity for you. Are you interested in taking this meeting um, with Orlando Brown Jr. and uh, his mentor, Jamal Brown? And it's like, uh, yeah, let's do it. And then really, Rippy, I, I just did the same basic stuff that I did with the college hockey kids that I did in a business school presentation, of course, all tailored towards Orlando. And, you know, it was just that one leap of faith of like, hey, here's the situation we're in. Don't hold anything back. Don't don't be underprepared. So everything I had kind of trained for my, my entire life led up to that moment to where, you know, over a, a two, three, four week span, um, I end up signing Orlando in, in Miami, which is really, again, just life changing. Yeah, it's crazy how that all came together. And the, the Taylor Nowell piece of it is is fascinating to me because, like you mentioned, our uh, mutual buddy, Stuart Sally, a uh, good dude, played some golf with him out here in Dallas while I lived here, kind of got you hooked up with him. But as a, you know, he works in an industry, particularly his sector of the industry, that's incredibly hard to get to uh, in its own right. Like, it's not easy to manage NFL players' money. Spoiler alert there. But so I can't imagine, like, I imagine you were not far from the first guy eight aspiring agent whatever trying to get into that space that approached him and so like did you know him at all did you have any idea who he was how did you make like how did you how did you get him to I guess like listen to you versus like I keep it moving kid I don't have time for your shit right now I got a lot bigger things going on like I why should I help you how did you kind of get him to actually give you the time of day and pay attention and actually kind of help you if that makes sense well, the big thing was his relationship with Stuart, my relationship with Stuart to where it wasn't just a, hey, talk to this kid on the phone to be nice. Um, he's really interested. I think Stuart really bridged the gap of, hey, you got a lot in common. I know Michael, like, you know, just give it a long conversation to where Taylor's just a very genuine guy. He was like, I've had certain people uh, help pull me up into this industry to where I'm at the point, I think he's eight years in now, something like that. And he's okay. like, every every chance I, I get to have a conversation with somebody and can feel that hate to use the word vibes, but feel good vibes back from them. Like the least I can do is get them a meeting. If it's something that I think is worthwhile for everyone involved 
to where really I just had those three or four conversations with Taylor of like, we're talking recruiting list. I'm talking about how I get to Mobile, Alabama for the senior bowl, because I am just clueless on what do I do? Where do I stay? Things like that just kept building on itself to where fourth or fifth conversation with Taylor's like, Hey, here you go to where really all boils down to the fact that Taylor was just genuine. Um, so Taylor and I started building that relationship. I think a big part of it too was the fact that we were both guys from, uh, from Mississippi. He went to Mississippi state, he even lives in Hernando right now um, to where wow. he, he really just, <laughs> he did me a solid man. He got me the meeting and that's all you've ever asked for out of, you know, somebody you've talked on the phone to five or six times. Right. And so you're, at that point, like you're pretty much just building this thing from scratch. As I hit on earlier, talking about, you know, trying to get in the NIL space, whatever you're able to do with that. I imagine in kind of the grand scheme of things in the plan, you know, five years down the road, if you could crack in the NFL, that would be a hell of a, uh, you know, that'd be a hell of a path and a quick way to do it. Sometimes it takes a decade, like it's, and there's no certainty that it ever happens when, and then you did it in a couple months and it was all kind of based off that one meeting. When that happened, so Taylor tells you he's landed like he will that Orlando Brown or and his representation or whatever the case may be. Orlando will meet with you. I, how legitimate did you think it was? Is it just like, hey, then maybe he's just being nice? Like, because I think part of me would be think in your shoes, like, well, he is like going to meet with me in person. It's not like he's just taking a phone call and then telling me to scram. What, like, how did you feel about your chances and kind of take me up to like? you know, meeting with him? What, what was your prep like? I imagine you had to be pretty nervous. Like, what was your mindset going into the meeting? So it was just one of those, here's your shot, man, to where I had to be as confident as I could be to where there was, I think, even back to a principle me and you spoke about on our first podcast of not being afraid to fail. Yeah. To where it was so outlandish that this meeting could even happen. And I'm speaking to a three-time Pro Bowl left tackle for the Chiefs that it's like, I mean, just go for it. You have literally nothing to lose. I mean, my recruiting list was filled of potential undrafted free agent guys for next year to where it's like, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's just go for it. So really what I did, Rippy, was I, I re, uh, reworded, rechanged everything I did with the college hockey players, that same marketing kind of pitch almost. I replicated it, but specifically tailored it to Orlando, his situation, and what I really played on was the fact that, hey, my biggest, my biggest weakness was, no, I have no clients. I have no experience in this. But here's why this is a good thing to where, thankfully, like I just went for it and everything I got out, everything I went through with, let's get you set up for second career. Hey, I want to take care of you off the field. I'm not here to promise you I'm going to make you the most, the biggest uh, contract ever on the field because that would have just been simply lying. I could not go in with selling these huge dreams of what I could do because you see through that. If 27-year-old Michael Portner, no clients comes in telling you how good you are contractually negotiating, uh, you know, for, for an NFLPA representation gig, then I'm going to lose. So I had to, <laughs> I had to play my strengths. I had to play uh, just the genuineness that I have, almost the, the eagerness as a young guy of like, Hey, I'll be your guy. Like I will do everything I can for you. Every bit of my energy, time and effort will be towards you to where it really wasn't like I was nervous. It was a, you know, let's get pumped up and go for this thing because even if I fail, then 
wow, I got, <laughs> I had a meeting with the NFL pro bowler. Um, here's where I did wrong to where like, no, I guess your, your original question was, were you nervous? I wasn't nervous. I felt great about it. Um, I was more confident than, than anything because I did have nothing to lose. Yeah, that is a hell of a way to look at it because, like you mentioned, like, hey, if it goes – even if it just went horribly, it's like, okay, whatever. Like, that, that's not – you know, that's not knocking you down a peg on, on moving up this ladder or anything. It was just an incredible opportunity, a one-off. Who knows when you walk in how legitimate it was. Whatever. You just kind of give it what you have. So – and you mentioned the, the same – that's kind of crazy. You mentioned the same pitch. So, our audience, or at least some of them, I imagine, listening to this um, – knows a little bit about the hockey piece of it because we did have our guy Kyle Valaket on to explain hockey to the masses of this Mississippi-based podcast. Uh, great dude. I had a ton of fun doing that podcast. It was kind of random. It was in that lull in between like Sugar Bowl practice and kind of needing some filler content after like signing day. And it was terrific. I think I ended up talking to him for like an hour and 40 minutes or something nuts, which I probably wouldn't have had, uh, had on the docket uh, during football season to talk to a, a college hockey player for an hour and a half, but it was good stuff. But it's kind of crazy. You talk about it's just the exact same pitch. It's just tailored toward, um, you know, or three-time Pro Bowler Orlando Brown instead of uh, Suffolk. Did I get that right? Hockey player um, Kyle Valaket. So take me through, like, what the meeting is. Where is it? Are you just, like, sweating nuts in a suit? Like, what? how did that go down? Where did you meet him? How did that go? What, what was that like? The first initial meetings were just Zoom. So that okay. was even better of, like, hey, I'm not a just <laughs> – going to go waste time, energy, and effort for a five-minute meeting, get out of here. But I would have done it. But yeah, yeah. We, we did a Zoom call. We talked on the phone once or twice. Maybe we did a phone call first, and then that led to a Zoom call to where it was an email from Orlando like, hey, we want an official, official interview. Um, like, let's do one more call. Um, I did that, and then they, <laughs> they call, and they were like, when I say they, him and, him and his mentor, Jamal Brown, um, who really helped guide him through this process. Mr. Maul is a nine-year NFL veteran, um, was very hands-on in this entire process with Orlando. Uh, they call me and they say, can you get on a plane in Miami? Um, like, we're not promising you anything, but can you come to Miami? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I will be there. And when I got there, it was, you know, one final let's hash everything out. Um, I'm sure they wanted to see how I was in person, get a feel for, you know, my presence um, to where that was like, wow, my confidence was there because it was even, you know, triple down on, hey, I, I'm here. Like, let's see what I can do. And it was a great meeting. Um, I was more, I wasn't in a full suit and tie. No, but I did do a little business casual coat, no tie. There you I, go. We were at a, a formal, you know, and second round of rush. <laughs> something along those lines um but then you know I landed and uh next thing I know it we're in downtown Miami in a business room signing contracts and uh submitting it to the um NFLPA to where it was just quite a whirlwind of what 24 to 48 hours for me so you signed him there like they mentioned you can't promise anything so the agreement was put in place at that meeting so is it, are you in, this is, sounds dumb, but are you in like a hotel conference room or are you just in some like, like skyscraper downtown? Like where is this going down? So it was at the apartment building where Orlando lives in okay. Miami to train. Um, and then I had enough wherewithal to know I have a friend I went to law school with in downtown Miami um, because I was like, this will make me look really good if I can get a set up at his law office in downtown Miami. So once it became official, I was just like, hey, 
do you, do you want to go down to this high rise, great um, business office in downtown Miami through this guy I know? And they're like, yeah, that's actually perfect because we got to send in all of our stuff and take pictures and all of that. So it was one of those where the proactivity aspect of how I thought through it in my head of setting things up just worked so smoothly that it was like, this was really meant to, meant to happen. Um, so that was in downtown Miami. And so when you go down there, are you having to get off the plane and go straight to a meeting or did you go down there the night before and like sleep on it and then go do it? And like, I, was that like a restless night of sleep? What was that like? Or did you hop off the plane and go straight to a meeting? Yeah, I hopped off a plane and went to an address and it was go time. So Hell yeah. like so, looking around and you're like, <laughs> almost like, am I living in a movie right now? Cause it's, I went from Boston, Massachusetts down to Miami, hop off a plane, um, go into a meeting with these I, I, don't, I hadn't had contact with NFL guys, really. You know who I was, I was going after to where it was like, wow, this is – appreciate the moment, but also you're, you're here to do a job. Right. So it, was, it was more so like, uh, you know, I played sports in, in high school. It was almost like I was getting ready for a game that whole, that whole trip down to where the next thing I knew it, I, I was staying in a hotel room, and it was 1230 that night, and everything had happened within, you know, that day. At that point, I know you mentioned earlier, and I asked you, and you're like, I wasn't nervous. But when you're that close, like this has become a thought, but whatever, a Zoom, just them giving you the time of day to like, okay, I like actually I'm pretty close here. Were there any nerves in that sense where like, okay, I'm this damn close, like let's let's get this done? I mean, I'm sure there were. Like I, I feel like I'd be lying to you if I was like, no, I had no nerves at all. But it was more so like uh, <laughs> excitement. Like, uh, yeah. let's go. Um, I mean, I – how much selling did you have to do? Like how much, like when you went down there, did you know they mentioned you can't promise anything? How much more like selling did you have to do? Or is it more of like a formality? And did you know that going in? I think there was a little bit left. There was a lot of just discussions on similar points we had talked to. But the thing is, is from the phone calls I had with him to the Zoom calls, everything went so well that there really was a personal connection there. So I was like, hey, I'm going to, to meet this guy I know more so than, hey, I'm going to meet you know, left tackle for the Chiefs. Right. Um, and we just kind of continued on. I built some rapport with them, kind of joked around, like, you know, it's great to finally meet you type deal instead of a, a stiff, uptight, here's my pitch book type deal. It was, uh, it was more of a what's up, how great to meet you type deal. Right. No, that makes sense. And it's worth mentioning, you mentioned his mentor, Jamal Brown. They both went to Oklahoma. Jamal played in the NFL, but they're not related. It's just his mentor. Um, just have one of those weird deals where it's same last name. So I don't know how much detail you're able to get into regarding the pitch, but like how did Orlando Brown Jr. decide that you were the guy, like a guy with no previous NFL experience? I know you outlined that you weren't going to sell him a bunch of shit about how like I'm going to make you the highest paid blah, blah, blah and all that. But like how do you think you sold him on you becoming the guy with no previous experience? Because you mentioned at the time he's an established NFL player. He can go with – I mean, Lee Steinberg, whomever, guys that are big agencies well-established. Like, how do you think you actually convinced him that you were the guy? Is it a – you mentioned something interesting earlier that I wrote down here. Is it – is there any value to, like, hey, I don't have a whole bunch of clients. You will get my 100% attention. Like, how did you kind of, like, sell it? Yeah, that was one – that was one key aspect. One thing where I just got wildly lucky in all of this is they were actually looking for someone like me. Uh, Why do you think looking, that? They were looking for someone who didn't have relationships with front office people. Um, they, I don't want to get too deep into it, but there are some maybe trust issues back and forth with 
the way they view the agent and general manager relationships, things of like that to where the fact that I didn't come in saying, Hey, here's these great relationships I have with these GMs. Um, actually I have no relationships with any GMs was just a, thank goodness. I was, I was honest about it because that's exactly what they were looking for to where that was almost like the, all right, perfect. You're exactly what we're looking for with our situation. And here's why that plus the, the fact that we, we bonded so well, there was never really any awkwardness. Um, and then we did make a huge personal connection on uh, diabetes. So his father died of diabetic ketoacidosis. His brother's a diabetic. And I kind of knew some of that, but then it came out straight in one of our um, first conversations to where my father is a nephrologist, so a kidney doctor in the Mississippi Delta, which has one of the highest, if not the highest diabetic uh, diabetes rate out of black American males in the entire nation. I mean, I grew up going to dialysis clinics, seeing how these families um, had to live with someone who is struggling with renal failure, with diabetes to where I was able to share some of that. And then that plus the lack of experience, plus I will be able to do everything I want for you. Um, you're not just a number to me. Like we're, you know, we're in this together at this point because yeah, I mean, there, there's no lying about who I am and the lack of clientele I have. And then I really think a big part of it was just trust, uh, good, good feels from each other, being able to, uh, free flowing conversation instead of awkward, uh, you know, questions back and forth. I don't know. I don't have, you know, a full answer other than those kind of factors, I think all played into uh, me being the guy for him. And not that you and, you know, Pro Bowl left tackle Orlando Brown, you know, grew up the same way, but just being both Southern guys, I believe he's Swanee, Georgia kid. Um, I think we're originally born in Maryland, but didn't you go to high school in Georgia, right? He was originally a Tennessee commit, ends up at Oklahoma. But just being from the, the South and the same part of the country, like, Again, you're, you guys could be very different personality-wise, or I don't know. I'm just, like, spitballing here. But, like, I imagine a guy from Seattle, Washington, and a dude from Mississippi would have a harder time connecting than two dudes from the South. I imagine just kind of regional familiarness probably helped with that a little bit as well. Yeah, I think that was huge. Also, something I can – this might be something you're not expecting, but the fact that I can uh, relate and speak to a black male in America and not act like we're – you know, the same person, I can see the differences in the way we grew up, but we can also speak about it freely, openly and have a good dialogue about it instead of awkwardly ignoring the fact that, you know, I yeah. am white, he is black, really paid, uh, played a difference in it that I'm, I'm comfortable in those situations to where um, maybe not a lot of people are. And that's because I grew up in the Mississippi Delta, um, playing, you know, sports with black athletes left and right to where I really do I'm not, I understand the culture of things and what you can do, what you can't do. And I can't act like I was blind to everything going on to where, yeah, that really also played, played a role in things, I believe. How much of a, and I, I like, is, is the, when you did your research, obviously you did a bunch of research on him as, you know, a person and who he is, his background and all that. How much did you have to do in the pitch process on him as a player? Because obviously, like, you probably knew Orlando Brown, who he was, kind of the same thing. I just remember him as that guy who got drafted by the Ravens, traded to the Chiefs. He's on, like, he as an NFL fan, he's on my radar. But I don't know, like, the minute details about his performance and how that was. Did you have to do much of that for the pitch, or is that more safe for contract negotiations? 
Yeah, I didn't have to do much of that at the pitch at all. One of the first questions they asked me, or he asked me, was how much do you know about offensive line play? <laughs> and I was like, Orlando, man, I know the basic concepts. I know some uh, how you got to pick up some blitz packages and whatnot. Um, I know you're one of the smartest position groups, if not the smartest position group. Um, I know that you have to create a big pocket for when Patrick Mahomes drops back, but I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know much. So I said, all right, good. I'll be able to teach you, like coach you up on all of it. Um, I think some of those questions were to see if I was going to, going to lie and guess my way through it instead of just, that's a critical, I remember that in my head being like, what do I, how do I answer this? And I was just like, honestly, I, I know a little bit, but I, I don't know much. I don't know, know where your hand placement needs to be. I don't know how wide your base needs to be. I don't know anything about your hip flexibility, um, but there's my answer. And I was like, all right, cool. So when it came to actual performance on the field, we really didn't talk about it too much. We'll get back to Portner in just a second, but wanted to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Just type in your email and you get a 16-ounce prime strip and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. As we hit in the dog days of summer, prime grilling season, you're going to want to go into LB's and find your own favorites. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. It is absolutely the best place in the world to get meat. I love the uh, tri-tips. You got the filet burgers, all kinds of delicious sausage, fresh seafood. Greg's got it all. And if he doesn't have it, he will get it for you because he wants to make your grilling experience great. Absolutely a staple of the Oxford community. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right. Now back to Michael Portner. Did you know when you were down there that they were going to have a contract ready to like, it'd be, like, like have an agreement? Or when they whipped that out on the table, were you like, holy shit, this is happening? So it was me. I, ha- I came with the – so to – to become an official client, you have to sign what's called a SRA, a standard representation agreement that the NFLPA provides to where, yeah, that thing was locked and loaded on my laptop. I had printed out like four copies in case I spilled coffee or something on it to where I, mean, I went down there with like marketing books. I went down there with just everything to see which way this would go because that was the one thing I could control was how well prepared I was to where when it was a yes, it was like, all right, let's go down to this office. Um, I've got the paperwork. Um, let's get it submitted. When you do your pitch, is this like, I mean, this sounds stupid, but is it like a PowerPoint or is it like a booklet? Like, did you provide any materials or you just kind of talked your way through it? Yeah, I have a booklet um, that okay. I use, but I'm not going to sit there and open to page one. Yeah. At this point, it is more me asking questions to see which way the conversation needs to go. I didn't go in with sales pitch, sales pitch, sales pitch. The sales pitch more so was let me get you talking and figure out which way I need to direct my conversation going off that to where that's how the conversation ended up going more towards uh, personal issues or not issues per se, but personal um, topics. Uh, Also the marketing aspect of things was something huge that I played into to where that was more, it's more of a free flowing conversation than it was. No, I did not stand up suit and tie uh, laser pointer going through a PowerPoint presentation. I knew, I knew that was not the correct approach in the situation. Who initiated like the part, like, let's sign this sucker. Like, are you at the end? You're like, let's get a deal done. And you whip out the agreement or did they say it? Like, how, I mean, I, that's, I know that's a small thing, but I'm just curious. If we were like, all right, let's sign this thing. Or did they do it? No, they did it. They were like, all right, let's, uh, 
you know, let's do the thing we feel comfortable with you. Um, we're making the decision. We, like, pretty much I think they had made the decision before I came, but they wanted one last, you know, if this guy's weird as whatever in person, we can still tell him to kick rocks. Yeah. Um, so I had a really good feeling that I was going down there. Um, I knew when this all started that there was only, like, there wasn't a huge pool of agents in the running. Like, I knew there was only five or six, something along those lines, maybe 10. I don't know. I knew there wasn't a huge number, but there were other guys to where I was like, the only reason I'm here is because of Taylor, which I am fine with. Yeah. Where by the end, I was like, common sense. They're not asking 10 guys to fly down and, and meet them, I don't think. Um, to where, yeah, I was, I was so prepared for it because of the way other, the previous conversations went that I felt comfortable enough to have everything to where it was like, all right, yeah, well, like you can, like, we're, we've chosen you to be uh, his agent. And I was like, all right, well, I've got the paperwork. Uh, do y'all want to go make this thing official today? So yeah, let's, they got showered up. I think it was after he trained, um, for the day. I met them right after he had, uh, done a day of training and, you know, I kind of hung out in the little lobby, waited for him to come down, and we rolled down to the, uh, the office building, made it happen. So this was over like two days. So y'all have the meeting, they like or same day, they agree to do it. You talk, so basically he, he agrees to do it, and then y'all just go down to the law office in Miami to sign it. Is that basically a marketing deal where it's like, let's go to this badass building? Like, why did y'all move from the apartment to the law office? Yeah, for that. I mean, I <laughs> this is, again, me – like proactively getting prepared for the moment was I'd already had a, a photographer that I DM'd on Instagram. I already talked to my guy who, uh, Dylan, who went to law school with me. I was like, Hey, if this happens, I'm going to suggest this whole marketing, not marketing piece, but like experience piece after it. Cause that would have been something I, I was like, I want to provide something cool here. Like, so once I had that, we had, I got, you know, somebody ready to pick us up um, within an hour, hour and a half. And we were headed downtown. And I think maybe by three or four in the afternoon, we had uh, gotten everybody together. Um, the photographer was there. We, uh, it's funny, we even, no, I won't share that aspect of things. But we, uh, you know, it was just a, a really good, a really cool thing that, like, I just planned for. And it all fell right into place just through a little bit of, faith because I was out nothing. I mean, if it didn't happen, it didn't happen. But if it did, I could be like, all right, here's what I have set up. Um, let's go do it. And that's how, that's what happened. I know I met your guy Dylan one time hanging out with you and uh, when you were in law school at Sanford or whatever, uh, to say that he's a guy, Miami native Cuban kid to say he's enthusiastic would be an understatement. Uh, what, didn't he have some weird, some story one time? I remember this cracking me up where he like got all y'all like Cuban coffee, your law school class, and everybody was just ready to run through a wall. Like, what is this? Is this cocaine? Like, like dude's kind of a firecracker. How pumped was he to like, like when you told him this is going down and this is about to get signed, how pumped was he to just open up the uh, red carpet at his law office? Oh, and he opened it up. <laughs> Dylan's such a genuinely exciting guy um, who just, again, to use the word genuine, he genuinely wants to to see his friends do well to where when, when the request came, I was like, Dylan, this might be happening. He was so pumped. He was like, all right, I'm going to clear out everybody from the conference room. I'll go home and get my suit and tie on. Like, let me know when you're coming. And I coordinated that with him to where, yeah, he, he just went peak Miami Dylan. And also, if you know Dylan, he might be five foot one. He's shorter so, than me, which is saying so, something. 
So there's these great pictures of, from his conference room of him and Orlando and Jamal together. And it's just, it's hysterical. It's, you know, kind of like the Shaq, Kevin Hart deal. But Dylan, um, yes, he did used to give us espresso shots in, uh, in uh, law school. So it was more espresso than cocaine, Rippy. But Yeah, no, no. I, I figured the pit listeners would pick up that it wasn't literal cocaine. But uh, if you ever heard anything about, like, Cuban coffee, the first time you have it, you're like, oh, my God, am I having a heart attack? Like, it'll get you yeah. rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Dylan was just uh, just a key aspect of, like, you know, you continue a great relationship with somebody and call on them for a favor and they say yes. I mean, that's the stuff you remember for, you know, the rest of your life because, yeah, we would have been doing it some nonchalantly just sending it in without making a cool, fun experience about it. It wouldn't have been for Dylan being able to open that up to us. Because it's not like I have a ton of connections in Miami. He's literally the only one, um, at least when that all happened, um, to where it just worked out seamlessly. Kind of a similar thing in this whole story is just not having a ton of connections with the one guy comes through, then the one guy comes through, then the one guy comes through, and then it gets done. So you saw in the papers, you mentioned it's like late afternoon. I know your answer to this, but I got to throw it out there anyway. How hard was it to not just immediately get obliterated drunk in celebration? How did you, How hard was it to contain yourself? You're in Miami. Like, how tough was that? I mean, that really wasn't even on the table, Rippy, because – Within five minutes of doing that, I had the Chiefs reaching out to me saying, when do you want to start talking? Literally uh, five minutes? Yeah, like we sent it in. I think Orlando let the organization know I was the agent and I had a message and I was on call. We did go uh, – we went out to dinner and stuff, but he, he was in training. Yeah. Uh, there was really never a let's go party and celebrate this thing because we knew we had six weeks to try to get a massive deal done. So it really turned more into – all right, this is great, but this is like, it's a work mode to where even for me as the agent, I didn't want to say, oh, I just signed you. I'm so new to this. I'm going to go party tonight. Actually, what I was like was I'm, I'm staying in game shape. We're going to, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and work for you. So that was pretty easy decision to me on <laughs> which way to approach that situation. Yeah, but that was kind of the next piece of this that I was going to get to is like, well, you sign him. Well, he's in a contract year, right? In March, I think they placed like a non-restrictive franchise tag on him. He doesn't have to sign it immediately. The deadline was actually last week, which we'll kind of get into, you know, a little bit here in a second. But like, you immediately go to work. And what is that like? Are you like, that's probably why, probably when you start diving into him as a player, the market rate and all that. How familiar were you with that beforehand? And what goes into prepping for contract negotiations for your guy? How does that work? Yeah, so I hadn't done too much mark, like prep on the market, but the market prep was pretty was everything. Um, knowing knowing the trends, but knowing what the top five left tackle market, the top five players in the left tackle market looked like, not just what their two aspects of their contract looked like that you see, you know, six years, one hundred thirty eight million, but knowing, okay, what does year three look like and why, looking like okay, how well protected is this guy years one through three versus number two versus number three? What's the length of his deal? What all went into that? And then also having to prep, what does the Kansas City Chiefs contract look like? What are they willing to do? What are they not willing to do? Because I can tell you, I mean, anybody can look at this. The a Green Bay Packers contract, like most of the time, is going to look different than what a Chiefs contract looks like. Um, In what ways? So there's just so many things that go into it. You have like per game roster bonuses. You have um, where incentives fall, like how they pay out the signing bonus, when they pay out the signing bonus, 
um, what day of the league year do they get this certain amount of money? And then it's like, whoa, the deeper you get into this, it's like, this is, this is a lot to where you try to know as much as you can, but then it's almost gets, you have to focus it back and okay, what's relevant here. Um, and then we knew where Orlando stood with, with his play to where it wasn't a ton of in-depth PFF next level statistical argument. That was more of a, how they valued him versus how we valued his play um, that really went into it. It was more of a numbers thing with the contract than it was what his, uh, you know, how many sacks he gave up or one thing we really, liked is his availability how many games he's played but that really didn't play a huge aspect into the actual negotiation of it because I mean the chief the Chiefs knew their their stance on him before I even came into the picture yeah I was gonna ask that a second ago you mentioned like PFF and all that I know you're not strictly going off PFF and saying look Chris Collinsworth thinks this guy's a top five left tackle in the NFL but there does have to be some sort of like metric that kind of generally declares or some sort of metrics that generally declare like a guy, a top five guy versus, you know, I don't know, a bottom third guy in the NFL. What do you guys in like the agent NFL world use? Like, is there like statistics wise to kind of measure all this stuff? How do y'all kind of like, what do y'all go off of? So a left tackle, uh, offensive tackle is going to be a little more difficult than a wide receiver, right? Right, because there's no raw stats. Yes. So, I mean, it's games played, age, availability. Um, So availability, of course, is how much he's playing, right? You don't want a left tackle who's not playing very often. So things like that really went into it. Him, the fact that he was a pro bowler, mm-hmm. um, the fact that he always is playing um, and that he has his best years ahead of him, plus the fact of how he fit in that system um, to where there was just all those arguments were there ready to rock and roll. Um, but, it, you know, it, there was, they had other things to where they like could combat every part of that. Um, but when it came to the offensive line play, um, it really was your, your Pro Bowls, maybe all pros, um, but then availability, snaps played, things like that um, instead of – because you can't measure a, a sack. You can't right. measure a touchdown pass versus, you know, your next competition that you're trying to get a better contract. And you can't say, oh, he caught 10 more passes more than him three out of the past four years. It's how many games has he played versus that? What's his age? What's his durability? What's how great a shape he's in? Things of that sort of nature, um, I think, paints the concept of, of how we looked at it. And with Orlando, he's never really been hurt. I was looking at this earlier, like his first year with the uh, Baltimore Ravens, unless I have this wrong, like he played all 16 games but only started 10, and I'm sure that's a rookie thing. Like it's not an injury thing. And I think the first game he ever missed in his NFL career had to be last year, right? Because I'm showing that he played 16 games. Obviously, they added the 17th game this year. So he's a guy that's never really been hurt. And I, I, like you outlined, that was, of course, a huge selling point because that's available, you know, this classic cliche that the you know, talking heads in the NFL like to use the best you know, ability is availability. Well, the offensive line is huge. I've used this example like 10 times in this podcast. People are probably tired of hearing it. But I was talking to Jack Bicknell Jr., Ole Miss's former offensive line coach at a practice one day. He had NFL background, and he was talking about, like, how in the NFL, like, he'd have guys be like, Coach, I'm not a guard, I'm a tackle. And he's like, no, you're not. You're whatever I say you are because we have seven dudes, eight if we're lucky. You're whatever the guy you're replacing is. If he gets hurt, you're going in the game. I don't care where it is. And when you start getting deep, you know, have offensive line injuries on the, in the NFL, 
that kills you more than anything else. You can kind of survive with lower end wide receivers or running backs or something like that. When you start getting ravaged with injuries on the offensive line, like you're really just kind of hopeless in a lot of ways. And so I imagine that was a key piece of that as well. Negotiations wise, you kind of go into this immediately. There's really no like honeymoon period. You go right into it. I think there's probably a huge misconception on uh, how people think NFL contract negotiations go. And look, I, for a number of different reasons, you can't get into the specifics of what your negotiations were at the chief. Clearly, we're not going to dive into that. But just the process of it. Like, it's not, you know, your former guy you interned with, Lee Steinberg, in the movie, uh, what, what's it called? Uh, what's the movie called? Damn it, I can't think of it. Uh, Jerry Maguire. It's not you, you know, all showing up in black ties and suits in a meeting room and kind of like, all right, it's on. It's not like that at all. Take me through what the process is like, how you met with the Chiefs, how much is over the phone, how much is in person. What's that like? Yeah, so first call, he, they texted me right off the bat. So it's a, a text message um, sharing email addresses. Let's get a call set up early next week. So conference call, um, and then we kind of determine let's just do a lot of this back and forth through email because you're sending back proposals to each other of what the potential contract could look like um, to where we pretty much went back and forth. And I think that's pretty general concept as you go back and forth via email, pick up the phone, talk about certain points. Um, we didn't do like not a lot of texting, but a constant staying in touch with each other. Um, but yeah, mostly, man, I've still never met with the chiefs in person. Um, really? All, yeah. It was all the, uh, email and phone calls. Um, we didn't do a Zoom call, nothing like that to where it really was uh, <laughs> email. It was basically all emails back and forth, um, sharing our position on the subject. Maybe we picked up the phone and talked to each other three or four times. Uh, there will, you know, once it gets closer to, this has got to be general consensus. Um, but the closer you get to making a deal or not making a deal, the more frequent the phone calls are, the later at night the phone calls happen. Um, to where it's more like that than the exactly what you're saying, not showing up in a, in a suit and tie, uh, hashing everything out um, in real time. And for the most part, you're not necessarily dealing directly with the GM, right? I think that's another misconception is the GM is kind of the top CEO of that department in the NFL world. They have a lot of stuff going on. They don't have time to negotiate every player's contract. You're dealing with guys. Brett Veach is the GM of the Kansas City Chiefs. Did you have any contact with him at all, or is it all people under him, all assistants? Yeah, it was just there's one guy um, who's their lead contract negotiator, and it was me and him back and forth the whole time. Who else is, uh, like, in terms of, like, in the picture, like, how, how involved is Orlando in it, or is, are you kind of his intermediate or you're reporting to him what's happening? Is he having any contact with the team? What's that kind of piece of it like? Is it just y'all two? Not you and Orlando, you and the guy from the Chiefs. Yeah, me and the guy from the Chiefs. Um, I would pass the information that we received from the Chiefs to Orlando, strategize, share my thoughts um, and opinions, uh, and then – I would kind of create what a, maybe what a counteroffer would look like based on conversations with Orlando and where we thought he, he fell into place. Um, one of the big things is, is the salary caps going up. Yeah. So trying to be able to make sure that even if we sign this big deal, look in years three and years four, we've got to be careful. And then it's like, all right, cool. So then I would, I'd map out how I would get back. I would share everything with Orlando and then would send it back. Um, then wait to get something back from them to where, yeah, there was never, at least to my knowledge, the Chiefs calling up Orlando saying anything at all. It was all done through the Chiefs intermediary to me to Orlando. Um, 
just the way that process happened. It's almost like building out and editing some sort of like paper. It's like counter proposal edits and stuff. That's kind of wild to think about it in that sense. How, so you mentioned the prep process of going through, you know, contracts, who's paid what, who's the top five paid player in the league, highest paid at the position. Is that all public information? Like I should probably know this, but can you access people's contract, like NFL contracts as public record? So you can use, like you specifically or the general public can use websites such as Over the Cap or SpotRack. But me as an NFL PA agent, I have access to all the database of every NFL contract, actual contract, actual language, because these contracts are like 28, 30 pages, um, spelling out literally everything um, to where that's really what I looked at. I used, you can use those uh, internet sources for a general concept. The numbers are right and everything. Um, But yeah, I more so use the legit NFL PA uh database instead of you know relying on a third party to keep the numbers right i'm not sure if those numbers are right i'm i know they're generally right but i i can't speak to what those websites look like um as legitimately like in part in line with what the real contract looks like i think they're pretty close Without going into too much specifics of the actual deal i this sounds like a dumb question but how did you get to know what you are doing and what's a good deal and what's a bad deal because the NFL is different than other sports is because they don't have guaranteed contracts. There's no guaranteed money where basketball is weird and complicated as their salary cap system is. It's pretty simple. You're this level player. You're a max guy, vet minimum, whatever. It's not really that way in the NFL. How did you get to the point where you knew, Hey, that's a good deal because he has this incentive and this piece is guaranteed or this clause. Like how did you get to know what's a good deal? What's a bad deal and what to look out for? Yeah, so the, this, there's so much difference in the way these contracts look between a three, four, five, six-year deal to where you, you tie what the guarantee money percentage is in this year versus what the signing bonus is versus in the six-year deal, how much of it's guaranteed in the first three years. There's general concepts like that that I learned studying, that I've learned being around uh, the industry for the little bit about amount of time I've been around to where you generally know what a, uh, a strong contract looks like, especially then when you dive deep into it and you're like, oh, here's where he's exposed in year four. Here's where they could technically cut. They, the team has an out after year three right here. We want to avoid that. Or, you know, you kind of start to put together your negotiation pieces through stuff like that of like, okay, what are we willing to give up to get this? What percentage do we want? What's the lowest percentage we'll go on a guarantee? What's the percentage like of this entire team's salary cap versus this player? Because like maybe say a top left tackle, this I'm not saying this is what it is exactly, but say it's nine to 10% of the entire team's salary cap to where that's how you make sure you protected moving forward. Because you could have something that's a huge number right now but in three years where that Amazon Prime deal kicks in, where sports gambling revenue um, is just sky high, that's how you can tie like, okay, here's still a good deal because this is X amount of the salary cap. And no offense to Ole Miss, I can't imagine Hugh Sloan's global marketing did a whole lot of prep for you in that sense. So it's really kind of learning on the fly. I'll use a different position and a different example to ask this because I don't want to get you in any sort of trouble and go into something you can't go into. Say you were representing like, 
say Dak Prescott, you're representing him and he's up for a contract and Russell Wilson just got a deal. How much of it is like, okay, I see Russell Wilson's contract. You have access to his database. Like it should look pretty similar to that for the first three years or whatever. How much reference is there to that at other positions and other guys contract or not other positions, like another left tackle or whatever. Are you looking at other tackles contracts while this is going on? And like, it needs to look kind of like this in the first three years. Yeah, there is. And okay. And it's kind of like the, the percentage of stuff really plays into where it can be a year-by-year year thing, but then also a total. Like, what's the total amount of guaranteed in this contract? Is it 60%? Is it 55%? Is it 29%? Is it 30? You know, stuff like that to where, yeah, you better know what, X, you know, number three on the list got paid in year four in uh, proportion to what he got paid in year one, year two versus – is this guaranteed or not? And then you throw in, what do you care about a signing bonus? Do you want the highest signing bonus ever? Or do you really care about that? So what's important to you as the client um, when it comes to where you fall on each one of these things? Because we got to know, we can't be the top on every single thing, all 20 of these negotiation points. We can't win every single one of them. Where are we willing to give all? Here's what he did. Here's what this guy sacrifice to get this and stuff like that um or the conversations that you have in comparison to other players contracts that yeah that that makes sense and so that's it's kind of wild and so like what's it when you're representing orlando brown i have a you know eight to five job and i have a pretty routine on each day like i got to do this meeting on tuesday this on wednesday and my day is pretty set pretty routine uh, i imagine yours is not like where are you doing all this from is most of it out of miami or are you just like sitting at a starbucks on the north end in boston like where are you doing this prep and research yeah so part of it was here in boston at home um i would i would wake up because one thing i had to quit the sales job um, yeah, I so figured, that, really, yeah. that really opened everything up i was in miami the first few days after signing him to you know fully fully start building that relationship you know uh so yeah there was some me waking up going just to study 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 at a coffee shop until he got done training then let's go you know let's talk marketing let's eat dinner let's get to know each other a little bit better um same thing the next day um but i mean this is a six-week process so yeah part of the time i was here in boston where i where i am right now working from uh my living room working from where i did the sales job just the same stuff um when it came to the contract prep but also i mean you you can't just prep for this contract 12 hours a day for six straight weeks so a big part of what I started doing were having calls with media members, starting to introduce myself, starting to hear from others in the industry of what, you know, any tidbits of help you could give me without, you know, sharing everything with me. Or, uh, you know, I did, I made sure, of course, this is extremely stressful time. So I made sure every day I would go get a workout in. I tried to keep things as similar to a routine as possible because that's how I operate. I needed some sort of, I wake up, I grind, I work, and then I, I, I unplug a little bit. Um, I'll go work out, I'll go run, we'll go to dinner, things like that to where, um, I mean, also we, uh, we were in Newport Beach for my bachelor trip for, you know, four days of this to where I was, I don't know if you remember, but like I was on the call, I was on the phone outside Friday morning for two or three hours just talking through things because we're in the heat of it. So it's kind of like, you sit around and wait for something to happen, keep yourself busy. But then when it happens, it's, there's nothing else that matters. It's 
we got to get our response back. We got to get what we want, um, all hands on deck. Um, so I guess that would be a, a pretty long-winded answer to, to your question there. Yeah, and you kind of got to be ready at a moment's notice, right? Like I imagine you couldn't tell the guy from the Chiefs out of Newport, hey, hold on, I'm in the Pacific, let's talk about this on Monday. Like it's probably right. like you answer at their beck and call and that sense pretty important stuff. Right. How are you uh, – how – I'm trying to think how to ask this. How are you kind of uh, – I guess you're staying in constant contact with Orlando. How are you – did you feel like you had to prove that, like, hey, I'm working hard on this at all? Or did, was it kind of assumed that he knew you were, you know, working at it? I doubt they would have hired you if they thought you were just going to, you know, kind of do jack off the whole time and not really be serious about it. I, but how much did you feel like you had to prove to him about, like, I'm really getting into this and doing a good job? Yeah, yeah of course. Um, there is an underlying factor of that to where it was like, yeah, look, I am going on my bachelor trip, but I'm not just partying for five straight days. Look, yeah. like, I'm – I promise you. It's like, no, it's all good. They, Orlando knew that I was on top of it, you know, top of it, that I was working, grinding for him. Um, but yeah, there's uh, almost like an underlying feeling of myself. If I'm not doing anything, then like, what could I be doing? Um, to where it's almost like I, I might have overworked since some aspect of things instead of like unplugging just because it wasn't trying to prove it even to Orlando. It was even trying to prove it to myself of, the one thing I can't be is unprepared here. So like, let's look at this contract again. When there really wasn't a need to look at, I already knew it. Um, but just when it came to point in times of not having anything to do, like, yeah, I was like, I'm going to find something to do because I can't, <laughs> I can't not do something because it's two o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon and I don't have anything else to do. There's always going to be something to do. So right. I also would sprinkle in marketing stuff, would sprinkle in, you know, anything I could to be like, yeah, I am really, really working hard on this. Yeah, right. And like, the, the, there's a self-discipline aspect there as well. Um, when you don't really have like a strict schedule and like an office and having to go into meetings and stuff like that, which I imagine can be hard, but it sounds like you balanced it pretty well. So you guys, the deadline goes by and y'all don't ultimately sign a deal. Um, you know, it is what it is. You'll revisit it next year or whatever. Obviously, for a number of different reasons, you can't really go into why or how. But from you as a first-time guy, so Orlando's going to play on the franchise tag or whatever this year. As a first-time guy, how did – I'm trying to think how to ask this. How did you – I know you were disappointed. Like, obviously, everyone would have wanted to see, like, a get, deal get done. How do you kind of manage expectations? Because from, like, a viewer standpoint, he's not the first guy that doesn't get a contract done pre-training camp and plays the year on a franchise tag. That happens every year across the league at every position. And at the end of the day, like, is it just like, okay, well, I'm doing what my client wants. I'm, I'm, I'm making him happy and he's pleased with the job that I'm doing and that's all I can do. How did you kind of manage the tough news of not getting a contract done with, like, with evaluating your performance of how you did, if that makes sense? Yeah, we were very comfortable with it. We had to, I mean, we had a deadline, so that decision had to be made. We got a final offer um, to where it was, we walked through everything. We saw the good, we saw the bad, we saw the ugly. Um, we talked about where we could want to maybe move in a different way. Um, but it was ultimately, here's all the information. Here's my recommendations. Here's what I think. Feel free to reach out to others who you know and trust, see what their input is, and then let me know what your decision is. And then, you know, we'd be back on the phone again in 15 minutes talking about something, you know, another aspect of it to where we were up late discussing everything. And then it was, we woke up early the next morning, talked through it again, and it was like, 
we we're comfortable with not having to deal in this aspect because of X, Y, Z. Um, the one thing I could have done as a rookie agent that would have screwed up all of this was lock him into a bad long-term deal. Right. Where, yeah, we wanted a deal done. It was out there everywhere that everyone wanted a, a deal done, but he had the support from his mentor, Jamal Brown to be like, we don't need to just get a deal done just to get a deal done to where that really played a key factor of, all right, Hey, let's not have you locked into the deal we want. Um, let's just regroup. Let's let you, you're in the best shape of your life. Uh, we don't want you to be locked into something that you might not be happy with in two or three years. And then once that initial shock of, okay, no deal is going to happen. Let's take a breath. Let's sleep on it. Let's decide. Everybody was at peace with it. Everybody's like, we feel good about the the decision made. Um, Let's, let's regroup. Let's let everybody know here's why, because that was something I had to do that Friday morning. Um, once it was official, I had to start letting the media know and getting our, you know, our, our stance out there um, to where Orlando's market value is known. Um, so it was, uh, again, it's back to the whole peace of mind that we didn't get a deal done, but that's okay. At least we didn't get a really like a, a not great deal done for him where he could potentially be in uh, an upset space in three or four years. Just from your dealings with Orlando, I know generally players and agents hate the franchise tag, and it's only unique to fo- to football, right? You don't really have that in other sports, but you also get a nice chunk of change for playing that year. I'm just like, what's like, you know, some guys hate it and they won't do it, but then Kirk Cousins did it for like three years in a row. Like, I mean, he was like tweeting shit out, like tag, I'm it. Like, it was just like, I'll take this short term money. Granted, he's not a top five player in the NFL at his position, but just from a general standpoint, like. How did you kind of think Orlando viewed it? Like, is, is he at peace with it? It sounds like clearly he's okay with it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have signed it. But just how do you, how do you, do you, how do you get the sense players view the franchise tag in Orlando in particular? Yeah, the, the franchise tag is tough. Um, and yeah. really, it's quite a wild thing that that's, you know, when we grew up, it was always like, what's this mythical franchise tag? Right. Where it was my first one is I'm deep into it and I have to figure it out word for word. I have to know this to where that was able to, I was able to kind of explain every aspect of what our options were to where, yeah, it is a tough deal. I mean, you're, you're trying to negotiate a contract when you're not on the open market. Um, so that really played an aspect into things. Um, I can't say what other, what other players think about with the right. franchise tag. Um, I knew Orlando was, was at peace with it was the sentiment again was let's play franchise tag for one year at 16.6, get fully guaranteed um, instead of the other. Right. And so how much – I'm trying to think of – how much did you learn about media? I remember talking to you about this and, like, being like – I wasn't like, hey, watch out. You know, they're going to try to screw you here. But it's different when you sign it, and then particularly the way the NFL is covered compared to, like, a pretty cold, controlled college media setting. Like – how much did you kind of learn about media? What was that like when you have, I'm sure, you know, Schefter, Rappaport, whatever hitting you up? That had to be kind of a whirlwind because it's also, as an NFL fan, you've seen those dudes on TV your whole lives. What did you kind of learn about the media aspect of this? I still am learning a lot about the media and the relationships because you got to have a good relationship with these guys and girls. Um, but you also have to be very – it's not a 
call up, hey, buddy, what's up conversation. Right. Um, so you have to be very careful. I remember right when I signed him, I spoke to you about this at one of our buddy Ty Whitmore's weddings because I had three interviews or two interviews the next morning, you know, the next Monday morning. And I was like, Rippy, what, a, what am I looking for here? And you're like, these are good guys. They're not here to just completely make you step into a trap, but you got to be looking for it in case there is one to where – I did these interviews and that was my first real media um, to where at least I'd gotten to practice with you a few times with how to speak, you know, right. Um, I felt comfortable enough with it. We had our message. We had our story um, to where I've, they're good guys. They're good girls to that. I've at least dealt with so far to where they're not going to just sit there and try to screw you at least yet. Then my experience um, to where it's been a collaborative, good faith, like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not ready to answer anything right now. Or, Hey, this is off the record or, Hey, this is on the record. Or I don't want you to speak to me at all. Like all those things. It's been very, it's been good, but it's still like, uh, Hey, I'm new to this. So like, um, there's certain things I'm not going to say. Um, but you mentioned people like the Schefters and Rappaport's reaching out. That's pretty crazy. Um, seeing these guys, uh, that, yeah, I followed their work since I was, you know, eight to 10 years old. Now it's like, Hey, Michael, this is blah, blah, blah. Like you have time to talk. And it's like, Nope, I really don't right now. It's Tuesday and we have till Friday to get this deal done. Um, but then I even had stuff like Josina Anderson reached out and called me and it's like, wow, what, what the <laughs> is going on right now? What's up, Josina? How are you doing? Um, those type of things. She's like, Oh, you know, this, like that kind of stuff is like, it's cool. Like I, I know I need to keep a good relationship with them and that it really can be a collaborative professional relationship instead of some of the way you can think about media and some of the way some people do view it. And again, this could be me because I'm what now seven or eight weeks into this. Um, I could still be naive as I could be. I don't know, but that, that would again kind of explain my, my full look on the, the media aspect of things to this point. No, you're exactly right. And it's more so in professional sports because colleges, it's a whole different ball game because of control and, you know, different podcasts for another day. But that's kind of something I was kind of telling you throughout the process is like, and this is something I learned when I was doing the internship with the Reds, professional media, like they have a lot more power than you do in like a college setting. And so like, there is a balance, like they are needed, right? Because if you, you know, have bad relationships with everyone in the Kansas City media contingent or just anyone, for example, as a market, like, you know, when push comes to shove, they're going to crush you. Like, like they're not like, you know, the hatchet, the classic hatchet job newspaper column in some ways is a thing of the past, but like they can screw you if you don't deal with them correctly, but you also don't let want to let them, you know, be all, you, you don't want to get like buddy, buddy with them to the sense that accidentally let something slip that shouldn't be out there. So it's a really fine line. And I find the guys that are the smartest with it kind of know how to use it as a tool. And I don't even mean that in like a bad way. I just mean like, Hey, they understand it. The dudes that don't understand media at all generally have bad relationships that end up, you know, on a headline or, you know, the classic taken out of context. So this is off the record. That's a telltale sign of like, like this guy has no idea how it works because you know, no reporters taking off the record stuff 99% of the time and putting it on the record. And so, you know, there is a use for it and, and having an understanding of it is certainly helpful. I imagine particularly in like a contract negotiation sense as well. Oh, that was, a, that was a light bulb moment for me when you said the good guys can use this to their benefit instead of being afraid and conflict or like adversarial with these guys um, to where that really was like, okay, I can drop my guard a little bit and just more so have a conversation than a, 
straight up. Here's what I, my statement, but like, it really was a, a fine line of trust because there were some things, you know, that are said to where it's like, you could portray this for me in a bad light, or you could take it how I actually meant it based on of our conversation to where, yeah, every interview I've done, everything like that, I've checked it out to make sure it was on the right vibe of what we were talking about. And every single one so far has been, been right on par with it to where it's like, okay, I, I, I know the people I can trust here that aren't going to, you know, completely screw me with, with some misspoken word. Yeah, like most of the guys at reputable sites got there for a reason. They're not hacks, but it's a weird industry because then there are hacks that kind of fall upward and you just have to be on the lookout to kind of, be, when you run into one, know it when you see it type of thing. And kind of the last thing on this, what has it been like, you know, I mean, your name was on, you know, every major news network at some point in the country. I mean, I saw it on NFL Network. I mean, when you get to the point where you can search your name on Twitter and real stuff comes up, not some like porn bot or something, like it, it's a whole different ball game. And I know like the easy thing to say is like you can't pay attention to it. I know you don't necessarily pay attention to it, but it's, it's a hell of a lot easier when it's not your name on there and your name out there. And, you know, I imagine in some senses you can find criticism wherever. If you're in the public eye and you're in the public space, someone's going to criticize you some way. I mean, I deal with it on a tiny scale. Uh, look, if everyone liked the podcast I did, I'd probably do something way cooler or run for president or start a cult or some shit. Like, I don't expect everyone to think that this is awesome and this is for them. But just as you go through this as a first-time agent, what has that been like and how have you kind of handled, you know, the increased public attention on a guy doing this for the first time? Because I imagine in some ways, first time doing it, you had to know you're going to get criticized one way or another just because of your lack of experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's going to be criticisms left and right, no matter what. Um, that is one thing I've been careful not to do is getting, getting deep into the Twitter comments and stuff. But I do have to, I feel like a part of it is, is keep up with the media. Um, but that wasn't exactly what you asked. Dude, it's been crazy. Um, I've had people send me videos of them speaking my name on ESPN. But the thing is, is it's like, they're speaking my name about Orlando. Right. Like, it's not me, head honcho. It's not me doing all of these great things. If anything, it's this rookie kid who kind of, who, you know, scored a big client. Congratulations to him. Um, but like, let's work to where, I mean, it, it, I haven't sat back and like thought how cool it is. Cause it's really like, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, right. it's like, it's not like they're calling me up and I'm having some, my face all over everything. Um, it's almost me more so with me being in the media. It's almost been more so in passing than me being the headline. So there is a little bit of, of difference there is because, Hey, I'm not Orlando. I'm Orlando's agent, Michael Portner, you know, and that's not like I'm Michael Portner, Orlando, Brian, Orlando Brown's my client. You know what I mean? To where that aspect of it as a rookie agent has been nice because it's not like just straight up all about me. It's me, my role on how I am here to help Orlando. Um, but it's been cool. It just, again, it's, you know, it's something when you think about getting into this industry, like, yeah, am I going to have these phone calls? Am I going to be the one, you know, sharing the word of what's happening? And you do. And then once you get past those first one or two interactions and seeing it, it's just like, yeah, what, you know, whatever. Um, it is yeah. what it is. Yeah, exactly. You worked for one of the most famous sports agents, you know, we've had really since the industry became what it is. How would they, were you able to draw back on anything you learned working for Lee throughout all this process? Yeah, sure. I mean, I was able to make sure you keep the client first. You were able, able to, uh, yeah, there were certain things you were able to, I was able to implement from Lee. Um, 
but I didn't really dig deep into contract negotiation stuff with Lee. Sure. So like I didn't have a ton of just like, oh, here's what I look for. But I did have those general concepts. Like again, like it's a general concept. You want your first three years guaranteed, stuff like that. But more so what I learned from Lee where it was the, uh, the marketing aspect of things of, hey, let's, let's make sure we build on our community. Let's do the local market and let's get into the national market. Let's get into the, uh, you know, I mean, the local, regional, national stuff like that was directly in my, my pitch book to Orlando, you know, to where it's like, oh, this concept makes sense. Um, but then also actually implementing the, hey, here, uh, well, we're not just going to say we're going to do something in the community. We're actually going to do it. So we'd gotten to do an event with Orlando with a diabetes uh, um, clinic, not clinic, but a hospital, Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City to raise awareness for diabetes. So that was all going on during the contract negotiation, um, just to make sure that it's not just all about you and all about the money. It's how you can use the platform to give back, um, but also learning how Lee's day looked with just, okay, I can get a workout in and things are going to be fine. Or, you know, I can sit at the computer and have calls. I'm not just having to sit there and crank out stuff all day to where like what your actual day-to-day looks like as an agent was huge for me being able to say, okay, look, like just, just run a normal day of shop, like nothing groundbreaking has to happen, but you still have to work and move forward because how else would I have known what a, what a sports agent's day looks like right. without that experience? I would have probably thought it would have been more like what a lawyer looks like, getting, getting into work at 6 or 7 a.m., working till midnight, you know, those type of things. And that's, that's not exactly the case right now for me. But it might be once I hopefully grow and, you know, continue to develop this practice. I don't know why I remember this, but what's kind of crazy is when you were out there working for Lee, obviously he has Mahomes as a client. I remember you telling me like you were in a room with Mahomes one time. I think like Texas Tech was playing in Omaha or something. But you were just kind of like keeping him company or something before you did something. It's kind of wild to think about three years later, you're negotiating his left tackle's contract. Like it's kind of a weird full circle type moment. It's completely wild. Like that day I signed Orlando in Miami, like they, you know, it went public and I had calls from the guys I worked with. And it was like, yep, full, full circle. Um, so it was pretty crazy. The fact that, wow, we really are, you know, three years later, deeply intertwined now and I'm not your intern. Um, type deal so it's uh, pretty wild what's uh what's kind of the next few months as we kind of wrap this up what does it look like now that clearly like you're not in the heat of contract negotiations anymore this will be revisited I imagine there will be some gradual you know build up to it as well but like what does your next nine to 11 months look like until this kind of crunch time comes around again that what does your job look like yeah so of course it's making sure Orlando's all taken care of over every aspect of whether or not he reports to camp, whether or not he, you know, all the things that goes into being his NFL agent to make sure everything's squared away for him to get on the field correctly. Um, huge thing for Orlando that I'm working on already, um, marketing, so marketing deals, anything legitimately uh, that will help Orlando's brand, that'll help him as an individual off the field is my focus. So trying to find marketing deals for Orlando, but then, Ribby, it is recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. So making – Other clients, to, right? Potential other clients. How do you kind of keep an eye on that? Huh? How do you kind of keep an eye on that with this whole NIL stuff? I know, like, there's a gray area. There's always been a gray area of college kids and agents and stuff like that. How do you kind of keep an eye on that? We've talked about that a lot before. Yeah, so I have this massive recruiting list of guys that I can potentially get. So, I mean, I – 
And again, I'm in the, a great position of a better spot than I was when I was doing this six months ago with recruiting. Um, but I'm still not really able to go after your top five to 10 guys. They already are in marketing representation agreements with people like Rosenhaus or XYZ yeah. to where if you reached out to them, you'd get an email from Drew Rosenhaus's like secretary being like, I heard you were reaching out. Like, what do you want from him? So you have to make sure that That's you're not going after like unrealistic stuff. Um, so you have to, I'm tailoring my recruiting list of guys from like Mississippi, of course, guys from Oklahoma. There's some guys from like Texas, XYZ, like whatever, that could actually fit my practice and what we're trying to do um, moving forward. And also you're looking for good quality guys. You're yeah. looking for guys who can speak well, who are not in trouble, who actually do have a community driven mind. Um, but also we're good. You can't, you can't go and uh, waste a bunch of time recruiting somebody who's never going to make it to the NFL. Um, so there's a little bit of, you have to dig into scouting reports. That's where you have to be good and connected with scouts because that's something I'm lacking right now is, you know, those scout development relationship, those scout relationships get developed over a long period of time. I'm brand new to this. So my next, you know, what, 11 months or at least till January will be recruiting through NIL deals or trying to get in front of decision makers for these guys. Um, but also who are, who are the right guys that I'm trying to get after. And that's the process I'm in right now. There's five or six top guys already that I'm really wanting um, to go after, but then that has to, you know, I might need to go after 40 guys to get four or five. I might have to go after 60 to get one. I don't know. Um, but that's how I'll be filling my time or, Hey, I'm looking at my drafts. I'm looking at who's the best offensive lineman and, you know, somebody's depth chart. Why are they highly touted? Yes. Oh, do they already have representation up? Oh, yep, they do. That's off the list. Because really, if you're an NIL agent for them and a powerhouse in the industry, I'm not going to stand a chance to get them in, in most aspects. Um, so, yeah, that I think that kind of boils it down with with the recruiting and NIL um, to this point. Right. And so, and it probably helps, you know, as you uh, clearly having an NFL client uh, it helps yeah. from a name recognition standpoint. I just imagine the fact that Orlando, like being happy with the job you've done. I mean, it is, a, it's a big circle, but it's a small circle in a way in terms of like, you know, NFL players and that whole fraternity and community. And so I imagine not that everyone you pitch is going to call Orlando Brown and be like, what's the deal with this guy's any good, but just having Orlando Brown pleased with you and kind of, you know, spreading the good word is the wrong way to put it but you know just having that there in your pocket to be like look I'm taking care of this guy you know on the off chance he's ever asked that has to help a lot as well yeah huge I mean my my first few sentences what four months ago or hey I'm Michael Portner I'm a rookie agent from Mississippi yeah now it's hey I'm Michael Portner Orlando Brown Jr.'s uh left tackle three-time pro bowl left tackle of the Kansas City Chiefs agent like what's up and there's a huge difference in the success rate I'm getting back from, from guys. <laughs> so that has already helped just tremendously, even without Orlando having to reach out to them uh, or give like a blessing. Just the fact that, you know, that's the old saying of once you get one client, the second one's easier to get the third one's easier to get all of those things are really coming to fruition just because of, Hey, here's what I, or it's like, I'm Orlando's agent. Here's what we just did. Um, we want you to be a part of it instead of, Hey, I want you to be, you know, my first guy ever um, to take care of your career from front to, 
from beginning to end. It's just a lot easier now for me. And also now my entire life, I've said, I have no experience. I have no experience. I finally have some experience to where it's like, one, I get to say that, but two, I can look at you more confidently and be like, I know what I'm doing when we step into a negotiation. What's kind of the last thing here, what's kind of the general timeline in terms of just like the next steps? Like, obviously you'll revisit the negotiation of the contract, but like for you, as you recruit other guys as well, like, do you need an office? Do you need a practice? Do you need a place to like bring them? What's that kind of like, what's the next, as you kind of build out this thing and continue your career, you know, with Orlando and elsewhere as well, what's that look like? Are you looking at an office? What, what do you need to do next? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, there's a good likelihood I'll be getting out of Boston. Um, okay. Boston's not an ideal place to run an NFL um, agent shop. <laughs> Um, I'll probably have to go down to Miami or like uh, Southern California or the hotspots of where these guys train. Um, yeah, I'll need an office because I still don't have one. Um, but all of that will continue to, to build and grow to where, yeah, that'll be huge for one, just running, running a business, but two, for recruiting aspect, being able to have an office to come to and meet instead of, hey, let's meet at this coffee shop or via Zoom. Um, the Zoom has saved a lot of it, being able to do that. Um, to where I would have, you know, it would have been a lot more difficult three years ago doing this. But yeah, next steps, I will definitely be, be making a move somewhere and open up an office and uh, really building and growing um, that way. And this just made me think of this, like, real last thing. Did you, like, is there anything just, like, to getting the first contract done under your belt? Like, is there any anxiety about that? To like, hey, I just need to get this done? Or the fact that you're kind of already, you know, rounding third and headed toward home, because at some point, some kind of contract will get done and what that looks like, kind of a story for another day. But do you have any sort of like, not anxiety, but just like, God, I just need to get this one under my belt. Do you look at it that way at all? I mean, there's part of that, of course. I mean, that's a natural human reaction to everything that's happened. Um, but when I really take a step back and realize what's going on, it's like, all is good. Um, there's not much anxiety about getting it done. And that's because I had, Orlando is such a good client. Orlando yeah. is such a good player to where the fact that I'm kind of, you know, my first big contract will be for him. It doesn't mean I have to work a lot of magic. It doesn't mean I have to do a ton. It's just is like, okay, this is now Orlando gets to go out and ball and play great and, you know, show, show what he's worth. Um, and then when it comes to, like an NFL rookies contract, there's not a ton of negotiation. Like, I mean, they fall into slots depending right. on the draft order versus last year and what the guy right ahead of him got paid. And you have to be a little bit below him. Uh, and then, of course, you got to be above the guy who got under him. Um, so that aspect of things is really not one of my concerns is getting a deal done. What I'm excited about and motivated to do is get a good deal done. Um, where it's like, here's where I was able to fight and really be able to, to show some of my, uh, you know, my skill that I know this, that I know what's going on. The fact that I'm to this point so early on really helps my, you know, confidence when it comes to getting a big deal done. But I know that'll come in time. Like, I've got to trust the timing on this. I've got to have a trust of God that <laughs> all that's going to happen to where, yeah, again, it, it's always in the back of your mind to get it done but it's not something that's stressing me out wearing me every single day because life's got to move on. It's going to happen. It is what it is. Um, it's going to happen at some point. And as we've kind of sat here and talked for an hour and a half, like you're clearly a guy with a lot going on. And on top of that, you actually have another contract to get done. I don't think it would be as contentious, but the fact that you're planning and going through with the wedding while all this is happening is just, 
<laughs> I don't know how much you're sleeping, but I, I hope it's some at all, which is crazy. But I'm looking forward to getting up there and uh, and celebrating. Dude, this has been great. I really appreciate your time. Um, As I've told you a million times, I'm very proud of you. This has been awesome stuff. And uh, what a hell of a couple months. Maybe we'll do this again soon. I appreciate it, Rippy. Always good hearing from you. I enjoyed doing this. And, hey, I'm proud and happy of you too, man. You're doing great things in uh, your life and career. So um, do want to make sure I say that on the record, dude. You're doing great for yourself as well. Very proud of the way you, you've grown and developed since we were living on Pierce uh, Avenue together. And, yeah, we got, uh, you got some best man duties to do for me when we get up to New York. So I'll be seeing you here in about a week. Hell yeah, I can't wait to get up to the Big Apple when a top's never been. I'm looking forward to it, dude. I'll, uh, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. See you, Rep. All right, that is our show. Enjoyed catching it up with my pal Portner. Appreciate his time. As always, I just find the NFL contract negotiation stuff and really just the business of professional sports in that sense really fascinating, but uh, definitely proud of my guy there as uh, hopefully they can kind of go into next offseason and work toward a deal. So anyway, that's going to do it for us. I'll be back in the midweek with something as we kind of hit more of a regular podcast schedule as uh, gearing up for football season. So thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Always appreciate the, uh, the feedback and we've got some great stuff down the road for you as uh, fall camp and some other stuff gets cranked up here in the next week or so. Y'all have a good one.